0: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to The Bubbling Adventure, a podcast all about kids and how positive education and conscious parenting can impact their entire life as well as society. Each week, we are having conversations with guests on different themes and our aim is to have open discussions, share different points of view and learn in a non-judgmental way. Today's episode is probably the toughest so far and yet it is very eye-opening. Talking about these kind of subjects can help some people feel less lonely and also raise awareness and even save lives. Donna will tell us about her pregnancy and especially about AFE, which stands for Amniotic Fluid Embolism that she developed while giving birth, how she literally came back to life and how it is impacting her family now. I have to warn you, it is the first episode where I shed a tear, but please listen until the end and remember it is a happy story. The best way to support this podcast is to subscribe if you haven't already and write a review if you're listening from Apple Podcasts. You can also take a screenshot of the episode and tag us on Instagram at the Bubbling Adventure. But without further ado, let's begin. lovely thank you how are you very good and very happy to have you here today we're going to talk about a subject that I know nothing about and you're going to be able to educate us and share your story but before we dig in could you please introduce yourself okay so my name is Donna Taylor Berman I am
2: a solicitor um I am a consultant solicitor presently so I work for myself um Dealing with wills, probate and uh, elderly client matters um, on a daily basis.
1: Okay, interesting. Wow, you must be very busy. <laughs> and uh, Yes, particularly at the moment, yes. <laughs> ah, Yeah, I can imagine that. And so you're also a mother?
2: Yes, I am. I have a little girl who is uh, six
1: in July. Edie René is her name nice 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 and from what i could understand you've had a difficult experience with was it with pregnancy in general or afterwards
2: uh, so my pregnancy um was actually amazing um i loved pregnancy i at the time had my own business i had the flexibility to you know the things i needed to do all the appointments and go to nct all of those things and actually really really loved the experience um it was only i was due to be induced on the, the 9th of july 2015 because i had gestational diabetes uh, which was being controlled by insulin so they often like to induce you probably around about 38 weeks just in case uh, obviously the baby gets a bit too big or anything else it kind of changed on the 7th of July 2015 so if I sort of explain what happened and then we can can dig further if you like so I went into Mm -hmm. the hospital to have what every pregnant lady doesn't want to have which is a sweep which is where they try and remove the membranes to um, bring on pregnancy for you naturally and as I was laying there the midwife said oh your your blood pressure has gone up you can't go home and this was about five o'clock on the tuesday afternoon and i was mm-hmm. like what do you mean i can't go home and she said your blood pressure is such that we really can't let you out of the hospital hand over keys, i'm putting you up onto the ward i was like oh okay that, that's great so i phoned my husband and said that beer that you are going for uh for pre-baby um wetting of the head is no longer you need to come in and get my stuff from the car they wouldn't even let me go and get anything from the car I guess in case I drove off mm. <laughs> so I was then taken up to ward and all the checks and everything else were undertaken and they began inducing me uh, that evening nothing happened that evening nothing happened on the Wednesday they continued to monitor me my blood pressure went down continued to monitor me and induce me um as they would normally. Um, On the Thursday morning, they decided that they were going to break my waters. One of the strangest experiences of my life, Um, and I will never look at crochet hook the same way. Uh, So then they broke my waters, and they then moved me into the delivery room about 12 o'clock on that day. And I was then given, I think it's oxytocin, which is kind of the natural hormone that begins the process. My memories from then are very, very vague. I remember bouncing on a birthing ball or a yoga ball, whatever they may be. I remember laying back, but my, my last memory then is saying, I can't breathe. And sounding like I was underwater. My next memory is on the Saturday morning when I pulled out, I was pulling out the tubes uh, as I was laying in intensive care. In between those times, I had something called uh, an amniotic fluid embolism, which is an extremely rare, unpreventable, uh, unpredictable, and very, very often fatal complication within pregnancy. My, uh, it's a two phase kind of thing. Um, First is basically respiratory failure and cardiac arrest. Uh, So my knowledge of this is through talking to uh, med students, the consultants, a whole load of people. They've kind of pieced it together for me. My husband's recollection um, is hearing the consultant say, get me a scalpel, get me a scalpel now, get me a mm, scalpel and being then taken out of the room. This was about eight o'clock on the Thursday evening. He was not told until about 1130 that night that I was actually alive. Oh, my God. That must have been so scary. <sighs> <laughs> yes, he did hear our baby cry, but he wasn't allowed to see her either. Wow. Um, so in between these times, basically, I, had, I was in cardiac arrest for 27 minutes.
1: Wow.
2: I, my lungs collapsed. <laughs> um, and so when they, they were trying to resus me, The next phase actually is uh, normally hemorrhaging. So in between that they, Edie was uh, still in my womb at the time uh, and I was nine centimeters dilated, which means that I only had a centimeter to go uh, before I would have given birth naturally. So what they actually did was uh, gave me an, not even an emergency, it's an urgency section. I was in the delivery room without anesthetic because I didn't have pulse or anything else. and so my, um, my C-section is not the prettiest, uh, shall we say. They then pushed Edie back up the birth canal and took her out. She was in the womb for four to five minutes without any oxygen. Once they then resussed me, I lost 60% of my blood. Um, so they were busy doing blood transfusions as well. And this was all in uh, the delivery room. They then, when they got me uh, settled, shall we say, took me up to theatre and kind of repaired me to all intents and purposes, um, you know, saving my uterus uh, and uh, sewing me up, so to speak. As I say, I woke up on the Saturday morning um, pulling out tubes and it was very film-like where you have a little pinprick and then it gets bigger, sort of goes in and out. And it it was a very surreal... um, experience Mm. but I I just remember sort of thinking what am I doing like you know this is a bit strange and my husband kind of walked around the corner fairly soon afterwards and I I just remember saying to him you know is Edie okay and he was like yeah yeah she's fine I said and he said like one of my friends was coming to see us and I was like well well, why are they coming up it's you know and he said well it's Saturday and I was like Mm. how is it Saturday and he said well you know what we'll talk about that another day And then I asked about the cricket, because I love cricket, um, to see if we'd run the ashes. So the doctors were like, oh, she's fine. Her brain's fine. That was fast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Those are the three important things, you know, my friend or whatever. But it was, they they obviously were very concerned because of the blood loss, um, etc. And I I stayed on uh, intensive care until the Monday. Uh, the Monday evening I was moved back onto the ward and I actually walked out of the hospital on the Thursday with my week-old baby. I was desperate to get back on ward because Edie was in the neonatal, not because there was anything wrong with her, but more that uh, my husband Andy had said he didn't want to take just one of us home. So he was going uh, opposite ends of the hospital to make sure we were both okay. He was feeding her, he was doing all the stuff uh, that in ways a newborn or a new mum should be doing, but he stepped up and, but I was kind of, you know, really wanting to, on the Monday to, to be with her and to know that she was okay. And, um, it's definitely an experience that has brought us closer.
1: I can imagine, I can imagine that Um, must have been so scary (laughs) to, to go through. Like it must have been traumatized because I cannot even imagine just even like 20 minutes, you know, without knowing that must be, horrible so yeah
2: yeah he he says that um one of the things was he actually had to actually phone my parents and say that um we knew we were having a little girl and my parents actually live on the same bit of land as us and he he kind of phoned them and said um got some great news like you know edie's been born but donna's not great and i think my dad may have broken a, a couple of speed limits on the way uh, to the hospital that night and they all sort of had to sit and wait and listen he phoned an uncle who was unfortunately um, unable to come up and then he phoned his brother and his brother hates needles but actually did make it to in- intensive care didn't come in to see me because he would have passed out and they needed the bed next to me but his brother came up mm-hmm. and kind of had that um, support system but he he says that you know he it was it was really quite it was quite traumatic, but we have, we we do talk about it, we do celebrate it, we do, uh, we're very open about it and about how we felt about the times. And he, I have to say that the hospital at Ipswich were amazing with the support that they gave both of us um, and, and still do, you know, we're still um, friends with the registrar that saved my life and, and you know, some of the midwives, etc. And And I think that that's part of it to, to be thankful, but for him, uh, you know, he, he has his daughter and his wife, um, which I think are probably the most important things. He, he has memories of me sitting up. He, he says that I was in a cool suit to keep all my organs cool when I was in intensive care. So I looked like a spaceman. And he said that there was a time when he came around the court or he was talking to the ITU nurse. And I started to sit up, even though I was in a coma, I started to sit up and go towards him. And he said it was quite freaky because it was almost zombie-like because obviously I was mm. sedated. Uh, so they had to keep sedating me because I was fighting everything, trying to breathe for myself and just being the pain that I was of very sort of positive mental attitude. I was obviously trying to get through it. So he always knew that it would be mm. okay after the initial yeah. not being okay. Of course. Um, so I think it's been easier for him to, to heal than
1: if either one of us
2: were not
1: here uh, of course of course for sure and you didn't have any sort of symptoms before that no way to sort of predict that there such a literally thing would happen. is no
2: way okay. no there is no way so um to to be if you're like it's not even a diagnosis it's a presumption that with an AFE, it's almost like having anaphylactic shock to uh, a piece of debris that's going around in your blood system, and so who knows? I always find it quite strange when people say, oh, "I'm, you know, I'm an anaphylactic to peanuts." Well, how do you know? Until you've had a peanut. And so there was something on that day that obviously my body rejected. Mm. They have told me, uh, or that at the time they told me, I'm too old now. But they told me that I could have had more children, and I just sort of looked at them and said, "You are kidding, right? This, this is not happening again." Mm. And I'm pretty sure that if I said I was pregnant, that most of the consultants in the uh, return to unit, which would be on holiday, whenever I'm due. But it, it's that it's not something so sometimes with preeclampsia, if you get it, it happens again, you know, they know there is no precursor. So there's nothing that says, you know, if you're young, you're old, you're obese, you're skinny you're any of those things that says that this will happen to you. It can happen before it can happen during um, labour, so it can happen before labour, it can happen during labour, and it actually can happen a couple of days after. So this is, the problem is that, you know, um, I don't know if you have read about Telford Hospital that's had lots of issues. A lot of those have been possibly AFAs, where people Mm -hmm. have not, it's not been picked up. And it's one of those that actually the only way that they can be sure is that they would do a blood test to see if there is some form of debris. But clearly, when massive blood loss is one of the uh, reactions, they don't have the chance to do it. And the first thing they do is try and save the parent, you know, the mum or the baby, and or both. And so, you know, my biggest concern when I fell pregnant was. I guess having the down syndrome because uh, down syndrome um test because i was 41 when i fell pregnant so i was always like oh you know i don't know if i cope with that so it's not something i ever and 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 i don't know that anybody should think oh that could happen to me Mm -hmm. because actually i don't think even if you uh, (laughs) were would it put people off i don't think it would because actually it's so so rare um to happen i think it was i think when i looked at figures and, and and i suppose what i need to say here is i didn't understand fully what had happened to me until about six months after
1: oh okay
2: i knew i'd been poorly and i knew people were talking to me about it and i kind of got that i'd um i remember being in intensive care and i looked up and there were three girls at the bottom of my bed and um i just they were all crying all sort of in tears and i was like mm, okay this is slightly, slightly strange all in nurse's uniforms and one or in scrubs and uh, one come over and I looked at her and I said, I know you. And she said, yeah, I started your heart. Mm. And I was like, okay. And then my head started going, well, that's not normal in pregnancy. Is it? That's not normal in labor. And I just, but it was all very much piecing it together. And I think it was really, um, when I had a review and I had a review letter come through and it actually said, Perry Morton, a C-section that I realized that perimortem is um, basically close to death. Yeah. And that is when it all started falling into place that actually it was quite serious and that no wonder they were momently, you know, walking around three days later saying, I'm having a shower. I don't care what you say. I'm having a shower. Leave me alone. Um So I kind of understand it, but my, uh, my, I suppose my survival nature come in and I, I didn't really um, and, and in ways, I'm glad I didn't realize what had happened to me. Mm, so.
1: Yes, and I know that some people when they're in a coma are, are still a little bit conscious to some level. And you said that when you would hear your husband's voice, for example, you would turn his way, which is cute. <laughs> uh, but um, like, do you have any memories at all, or no, nothing? N- literally no. nothing. And
2: it it is quite weird for somebody who probably as a self-confessed control freak to lose two days of your life just not knowing. So yeah, the last memories I say is saying I can't breathe, which is apparently when my lungs collapsed. Um the gurgling was obviously uh, the cardiac arrest. And then um so I woke up pulling out tubes. So I was it was in an induced coma. Um and they would uh, they leveled out the sedation so they brought me round, uh, which my husband said he didn't want to be around for because he didn't want to know
3: Mm. if there
2: was, because they said there was uh, always a possibility of brain damage. If I, I mean, basically there is estimates of um, survival of an AFV around 80%, but very often the mortality rates when a child is in the womb are about 65%. When that happens, there's a greater risk of um, neurological impairment, surviving women and children because of, obviously, the loss of blood, the loss of being in cardiac arrest. And these can can range from kind of short-term effects, uh, memory loss, those sort of things, up to complete hypoxia, anoxia, brain injury. So being completely, you know, disabled, Mm -hmm. brain damaged, whatever. Um, Kids can often, so the infants can often end up with cerebral palsy or development issues or limited brain function because of lack of, oxygen, same as you would see um, normally. So I guess in ways, I was never fearful for me, but there was always that thing as to whether E D would have long-term effects and she doesn't. She mm. is perfect, was that day and, and remains so. I guess the only thing for me, um, there's a couple of things I guess that kind of come from it for me. I had some an amazing, amazing NCT friends and when the first one announced she was pregnant with her second child, I found that very difficult because actually the choice, for all intents and purposes, yep, being told you can have another one, but being realistic about it, how selfish would it be, you know, on Edie, on my husband, on the NHS, of, of making that decision and going again? And actually, it took me a little while to genuinely say to her, I'm really happy for you. Um, however, saying that the moment that she told us she was into labor, my husband and I were really happy that we'd made the decision not to go further with another job. So there is, you know, it's not something that we look back on with regret now. And I guess the other thing for me is I never had that moment with my husband and newborn child, you know, skin to skin contact the moment you had given birth. So my first meeting with Edie was for about 10 minutes on the Saturday afternoon. Um, and then I met I met her again on the Sunday about for about an hour, and then on the Monday, as I say, we moved into a room together. Um, after that, and then came home on the, the Thursday. And you know, it being Mother's Day yesterday, it it's just for me, it's one of the most important days, um, just because we're actually I am lucky enough to be a mum and and to still be here. Mm. Uh, and her birthday we tend to around that time have a massive barbecue at our house no you're not all invited um as a <laughs> celebration of life mm-hmm. um you know of, of just being thankful that actually you know what we're both here and we're both really healthy and
1: you know what the nhs are amazing yeah, yeah for today. sure for sure like it's uh it's incredible really in and- yeah it must have been a, a very busy busy night for them <laughs> <laughs> you know
2: i think i was lucky because actually it happened around crossover time so uh there were actually double uh, the staff that they should have been around and the registrar it's very stru- funny actually myself and the registrar when we first met didn't really hit it off shall we say um her bedside manner was perhaps um not great and i'm not great at being spoken to the way she was so i kind of was a a bit whatever when she came to me um to break my waters you know it was almost like she had this evil look in her her eye now she's probably um she's in absolute awe of her she's an amazing woman We we have an amazing friendship now because actually the the Mm -hmm. respect both ways and i think it she, we always talk about our memories and she always says to me, um, her memory is, is swearing in front of my husband, you know, to get the scalpel, not my husband, but the the group. And, uh, my husband says, you know what, you could have said anything that day. You saved my wife. I I really don't care. And, uh, my memory was actually, she came in about two days later when I was in, in ward. So maybe four days after it all happened. And she actually said to me, well, the good news is we saved your uterus. And I was like, well, it doesn't matter. You could have left it flapping in the wind for like, it's not gonna be used again. And when one of the ways that I've kind of given back is that when I was at um, a law firm in, in Essex, we raised some money. We did uh, charity of the year, but we chose three charities, one of which was uh, Ipswich Hospital. And we threw a big ball and we invited Sadia and the head of midwifery, Alison, down to this ball. And we were again, just sort of joking around about her swearing in front of Vandy. And uh, I said, you know, my memories about the uterus and she just went to me, yeah, it was. I said, yeah, it was what? And she said, yeah, your uterus was flapping in the wind, but we tucked it in, it's fine now. And I was just like, oh, okay, um, okay. And it just, it just brought it just to to head that she just was so humble. You know, it's her job, all of those things. And she is, you know, without her. yeah. Um, I wouldn't be here. That's it. That's a long shot. Um, But the funny Mm. thing is, is every time she met Edie, in probably the first two or three years of Edie's life, Edie would cry. And I always used to say to Sadie, I told you, your bedside manner is absolutely shocking. Now Edie obviously gets on with her because she understands more. Edie has no clue what happened, but there's always, there is kind of a special bond there. She does know that something of course massive
1: happened we don't talk about it in front of her okay so she she doesn't know but yeah okay interesting but so for you since as you mentioned you weren't really processing what had happened when you woke up and it took you a while but still you were only seeing your your daughter for 10 minutes for example the the first two days how did you live with it like how did you feel at that point because that's not normal for like a
2: no I, I guess it, it it was weird I suppose because obviously you're uh, it, it's quite a natural instinct to want to protect your child and actually I guess my thought on that is actually I've never been asked that but I think to be honest my husband is amazing that's the long shot and so actually he and he still you know he still 50 percent does all the the school runs in the morning I so we we are very much a team and the fact that he was going off and feeding her he would he would get to the hospital when I was in 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 ward and I our, you know I had a little room and he would be back at that hospital at seven o'clock in the morning and we would have Edie and he would feed her and he would do all of the things and layer on me and because obviously when you have a c-section you're not overly mobile they try and get you up but my my c-section was um is straight across kind of my start so it's about that long Mm -hmm. my c-section it's not the, the smaller one and so it was kind of recovery from that but he he was amazing in that sense that he he supported us he made sure i was there but when it is tiring because you are on all sorts of drugs and all of that sort of thing And there's you know uh, I think I was on in when I was in the coma they were the same drugs that were used to dis, uh, sedate Michael Jackson uh, kill that killed him yeah. basically so they're, they're heavy going uh, sedation jug, drugs and then you're on morphine to stop the pain I actually asked to come off the morphine on the Tuesday night because it was just too fuzzy and I couldn't deal with it um because again i like clear head but he i think without him without the midwives without any of that i wouldn't i wouldn't have been able to cope on my own i mean i remember the last night so the wednesday night and edie just wouldn't settle for some reason probably because i wasn't settled and the midwives come in and said we're gonna put her in the nurse- there's like the little nursery that they had because you need some sleep so i had all of this support and from <sighs> from the mental health side of things I don't know I have had I did go for counselling but mainly because actually just after ED. so what I also need to say is that I actually started work again so I came out on the 17th no 16th of July and I started back at work on the 5th of August three days a week uh-huh. um, because uh, I had my own business at the time okay as a lawyer and then going through that um we lost in the november so that's the july in the november we lost um one of my, my uh, one of andy's uncles and also my nan within two days i then had some issues at work from the february so actually i never had the space and time to think about what could have been mm-hmm. and i'm naturally a very positive person so the way that i thought about giving back was starting up the charity thing but also um looking to see if there are other people that don't perhaps cope with it as well um to to be part of that so there, there's i think four of us that are admins on a um, facebook page for people that have are either survivors or are the relatives of survivors. Of of not survivors Mm -hmm. um, so that there's a place there that you can say you know what today's a really bad day or you know it's coming up to the anniversary of this or any and and there is some level of empathy there Uh, because every AFE is different I think it's very hard to be um, to completely empathize with somebody uh, but to actually know that you've been through some level of that and you know whatever hospital or whatever hospital trust it happens in, um, I guess one of the things I will say there is that I I was always going to be in a hospital birth because I was consultant led because I was an old mum at 41, 42. If this had happened to me given a home birth, I would not be here. Mm. But that's it, you know, or if even, you know, if I'd have uh, started labour and not got to the hospital in time, I would not be here. And I think it's those sort of things, the reality of those things that make me realise that I am lucky. Um, there are very few things that now sadden I don't let things get me down because I know that, you know what, we I, I was totally immortal mm. until that moment. And um, probably it's only in the last year that I've now turned my life to where i want it to be mm-hmm. given everything that happened you know you kind of say well i'm going to do this i'm going to work less i'm going to spend more time i'm going to do this i'm going to do that and actually i have and you know i've gone from owning my own business to uh i become a partner in a firm so i could take a step back but i use that firm it sounds horrible but i use the firm to push forward um making money for charity so that I could give something back. And then I left there, but now I work self-employed so that I can do all the school runs. I can look to, um, there is actually an AFE charity in America but there isn't one here. So myself and another are talking to the trustees in America to see whether we can replicate that here or whether we need to just set up our own and do that. Mm -hmm. So it's given me that time, to do that to and I I'm a mental health first aider so the mental health aspect I kind of am always working on um so you know just do I feel okay today and you know all of those things so it's how have I dealt with it I, I just deal with it with every day of just trying to survive the same as all of us just do it you you, you find your coping mechanisms and mine is just to um grab it and use it as a positive. So I go into uh, my local um, GP, um, teachers, med students. So I go in once a year and talk to them about it. Mm. Um, because actually by them being aware, more people will survive. Yeah, It's them that need to be aware of this. Yeah, 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 for sure.
1: No, that's, uh, that's amazing. And yeah, I think you, you feel the need to honor basically the chance that you've been given. So it must be also a lot to to carry I'm sure some days because it's obviously you're lucky but you I don't know if we can talk of imposter syndrome in that case but I know you know some survivors are like why why me or I don't know if it's your case
2: I I think so you know I I yes I mean I, I suffer from imposter syndrome in a lot of ways but um I think yeah you do just think I think your first thing is why me Why why did it happen to me and then you kind of start looking for reasons is there something I should have done is there something I should and and you know you then being a lawyer or, or being a solicitor you know the research you go into it and you look at it and you you realize that actually no there there is nothing that you could do or say that, that changes it but I think but yeah there are times when you think you know I, I know people that have died and I mean <laughs> We, we can't watch Call the midwife in this house because it just kind of brings back things. And there's certain things that you just think, okay. But yeah, I, I just feel there must be a reason why I didn't die that day. Quite frankly, um, med, uh, medical people have said, although they believe in science, they believe that something else was at, at work that day and then my daughter's named after my nan who who died many years ago she would have been about 119 now but she was also always my guiding star when I was a kid when I was you know in my teenage years she was always there for me Mm -hmm. and hence why she's not you know actually Edie's named after both my nan's um, Edie and Renee and so you just think was there somebody spiritually was there something I was meant to be here I've been given that second chance to actually make a difference because actually realistically i could just sit in the background sleep you know go over me Oh, will that happened, and, and just not do anything about it uh but the very nature of me is to use uh, a talent that i have or use something to get it out there and let people know that one they're not alone mm-hmm. um two that you know this happens. Uh, i was told by by the consultant um that it's textbook it's in a textbook but actually that's that bit of textbook that you either skim over or never you know never really need think you're going to use and um the anesthetist that obviously anesthetized me once they finally brought me around to then knock me back out again you know he'd seen one before me and the lady had died he then dealt with me and then i'm told about two months later he dealt with another one and the lady died Hmm. you kind of start thinking "Mm, okay um yeah i i need to make something of this i need to to make people aware of this i need to do something with the contacts that i have and the the ability to to voice things and and actually just say to people do you know what particularly you know uh, med students or or um Ops and Guine, actually if you get it right if you look at symptoms this is what happens somebody can walk away and have a, a fulfilled life uh, you know a daughter or child that is excelling at what she does mm-hmm. because they gave you the chance so yes i think that you know maybe maybe i was given that chance to um to make it more aware, make mm-hmm. people more aware.
1: For sure, so again, thank you so much for, for sharing. It's, uh, it's I mean, it's such a story. It's it's a lot uh, for the whole family, so it's good that you're sharing. And again, I had never heard of an AFE, so it's it's really not well known, but is there any advice that you would like to share?
2: Yeah, I'd just like to say, you know what, Be- Open about how if it has happened to you, there are people there that will understand, and be open about actually how very very low you can get, how very very thankful you can get, um, and all of those things in a matter of about five minutes. To be fair, it it does take time. We all deal with things in different ways, but if you you need you know somebody to talk to, you think it may have happened to you, any of those things, or actually that the the hospital didn't deal with it properly. Uh, But you need to speak to somebody. Obviously, you can always find um, us on Facebook and we're quite happy to kind of sit with you and go through. And we will be, as I say, looking to raise funds for awareness through a charity. So if you want to be part of that as well, you know, please. Uh, because actually for me it's it's my kind of therapy it's it's probably saved me hundreds thousands in therapy uh by doing it this way round rather than paying somebody to to listen so yeah really it's just um accept that it's happened to you and use it how you can use it that that's it really it's just i i can't tell you how to deal with it you need to find your coping mechanisms but just know that you know you're not alone Basically. Mm-hmm
1: yes so we will put all the links in the description box so you can just click if uh, if you need or if you want to donate um so yeah. thank you so so much donna for enlightening yeah. us on on this subject and and yeah it was uh, it was very interesting to to hear about and we should definitely talk about this a lot more so thank you so much thank you thank you for your time Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to share if you think it might be helpful to someone you know. If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to write a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and subscribe if you haven't already. That's it for me. See you soon with the next episode. And in the meantime, have a lovely day.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.